comes with a, a helmet, it's silver teeth, it looks sort of like me, and it's only 300 euro. Welcome to Midnight Video's Doomsday Clock, a calamitous countdown of cult corkers with your hosts, me Jim Hall and me Phil Walsh. Tonight, with the hands poised at 12 minutes to midnight, we spend time hammering out showstoppers with a late William Finley for Brian De Palma's delirious Faust music comedy, Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> Welcome to this, the first of 12 little Midnight Video mini-specials. And to paraphrase and slightly do Iron Maiden injustice, 12 minutes to midnight. That was like Bruce Dickinson was in the room with me. All it takes <laughs> he, is four He's minutes. in the corner, he's writing yeah. the third Lord Ify Boat Race novel. Whilst fencing. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, it's May. But by the time this goes out, it'll be July, and Phil will have been, uh, you'll have winged your way over to France. And uh, yeah, we're going to be taking a little break for a few months, but this is something to fill the gap, just in case you're hoping to forget we ever existed. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be a present still. So yes. whenever you like load up your iTunes, we we'll should be. pop up every fortnight still. Yeah, well, well, even more frequently than that. We don't want to take a six-month break. <laughs> but yeah, um, this is a series of one-off film reviews, single films, um, called from largely from our directors, uh, our listeners' vote um, selections, um, runners-up. So we know they're things which hopefully people will be interested in. Few, uh, few selections of our own. Um, counting down to either us coming back, fingers crossed, or the end. The yeah. end of the tape. <laughs> As it spools away. Yeah, no, hopefully we will be getting something together with us communicating over Skype, but um, we can't promise anything. No, but it'll be nice for you to hear us sort of, <laughs> I was going to say, peter away. out. Yeah. <laughs> but at least, you know, it's good that we're doing some stuff where we're still actually face to face in reality. Okay, but yeah, we're going to be kicking off with Phantom of the Paradise. It's a whole series of songs that tell the story of Faust. Who? Faust. What labels are you on? Young composer Winslow Leach has a rare gift, one which is swiftly ripped off and exploited by Paul Williams's diminutive music Svengali, Swan. Disfigured from a spell in Sing Sing and a backfiring hit at a vinyl pressing factory, Winslow re-emerges as a twisted phantom, obsessed with Jessica Harper as his songbird muse Phoenix, and now willing to make an unwise pact with his infernal tormentor. Okay, Phil, you've been having your own little Brian De Palma season. Has that come to a halt now? It's kind of ground to a halt, unfortunately, um, because obviously we've got to do other stuff for the podcast. I've been really busy doing my mixes and stuff. But um, you I've have got a wife and child as well. Oh yeah, I forgot I'll about that. <laughs> and another one on the way. Yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, it's wound down a little bit. But in that time that I was watching quite a few, I managed to watch about fifteen or sixteen of his films. Um, Phantom of the Paradise was one that I hadn't seen. And it just absolutely knocked my socks off. That's all I can say, really. It's it, it's like nothing else he's done. Even though you could sort of say, I suppose, Greetings, Hi Mom, it's got... Or even Murder a la Mode, which William Finley was in as well. It, it has that um, 
comedic element or theatrical element to it which changed over time as he became more and more focused on the the cinematic exploits of his uh, forefathers um, but this it's still I mean I watched it last night with my wife unfortunately she fell asleep but she's pregnant and tired and it again I was just spellbound by it it really is just one of the most remarkable films I've ever seen even yeah I, I remember as a, uh, a younger guy I really didn't like De Palma much I thought he was quite a crappy Hitchcock knockoff I've kind of reassessed that now and certainly when we did Body Double a few <laughs> shows back really enjoyed that really great feel to it this I remember seeing in the late 80s and just really loving it it was so funny um Again, I've said this before, I've never really been a fan of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it might be a bit cruel to compare the two, but um, well, this seems to get it so much better, and yeah. the the songs are a lot better. Paul Williams, who I'm not sure if you're that familiar with from other stuff. Um, I know from the stuff Muppets. that you've, you've spoken to me yeah. about. Yeah. No, his, his scores for the Muppets, a few of the Muppets films are really great. I genuinely like his stuff, and in fact there's a documentary about him uh, that's coming out at the moment, which... I remember reading something about I think it's doing the rounds at festivals um, but apparently he's very standoffish to begin with it's one of these things when the guy interviewing him is quite involved in it if you see what I mean he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's a character in the thing himself but not in an arrogant way It's from what I've heard it's like it's it's more about him trying to get Paul Williams to come out of his shell and then there's a lot of strange things that happen with that like I say I've not seen it though but I'm really right, looking forward yeah. to it at some point but yeah, this, like I say, saw it first 20 odd years ago. And yeah, it still is really good. Um, so colourful and entertaining and funny, and the music's really great. And um, wow. Yeah, it's like, it's like a big tablet that gets plonked in the water and it just keeps bubbling up with like, goodness. You know, like I take these vitamins, what do you call them? Um, what's the orange thing? Barocca? It's like Barocca. Barocca Obama. <laughs> because it, it starts with. Like this, this base, this foundation, which is obviously Phantom of the Opera, but then it layers on a bit of Oscar Wilde, so it gets the, you've got the Dorian Gray in there, mm-hmm. and then it's got a bit of Faust as well. So it's got these amazing, like, um, it's anchored in this great literary works, but it's done in that very gaudy 70s rock opera way that um, someone like Ken Russell did magnificently with Listomania, which we covered before. Even Tommy, uh, both the afford, after this, I but also you were saying about um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, which again I'm not a big fan of either. But yeah, I like I like the I mean the beef sections of this are quite Rocky Horror Picture Show, but they're they're done so much better. And yeah, would we'll explain um, the Svengali figure Swan um, Paul Williams. He's manufacturing various groups. At the beginning, he's got a kind of fifties uh, rock and fruits. roll. Yeah, the juicy fruits, a fifties rock and roll pastiche. Then again, though, good songs. I thought they open the film brilliantly. You know, you've got them performing on a stage, and they're doing this great sort of like almost do wop number. Yeah. And there's like all the Palmer's films. There's always stuff going on in the background, which doesn't really. Uh, it's it's like the opposite of the Jason comic, where you know something is um, very fastidious in the way that he's designed it. It's, it's pared down. He's more about excesses. Department mm. is about having the sort of things rolling out of the frame and tumbling behind, like, which is it just works brilliantly, in, especially in this. You know, you, yeah. you've got to pay attention to the details. Yeah, because Paul Williams' character is physically quite striking. He's a short guy with this long blonde hair, and he actually winds up playing an orangutan in one of the Planet of the Apes sequels. Um, 
he's kept in the shadows to begin with. We 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 hear his voice but don't see him, and he's talking to his lackey, isn't he? This guy who's kind of a big greaser. Yeah. yeah, he's got this strange kind of little speech he does at the beginning about this uh, to the cameras. Yeah, but it's well, actually he's meant to talk to Swan. Talking to Swan but yeah, yeah, but, um, but he's direct. So he's but yeah, even that role of the lackey is given a lot more. There's a lot more invested in it than you'd usually get in one of these films. And this is the thing: it looks like it's going to be a throwaway comedy. It is very funny, but it only one of the reasons it really works is because it is it does take itself quite seriously. And there is a story you're following here, um, and you're involved in the characters. You you really do feel the pain of um, of Winslow yeah. <laughs> having his music ripped off. And yeah, it's. It would have been so easy when he first appears on stage during these auditions and does his little Randy Newmanish kind of song to have just, you know, blown a raspberry at him. But it works because you really—it's a genuinely good song, and you can tell it's something that's really coming from inside him. Yeah, yeah, it—it it, it, it is amazing because usually I wouldn't give that kind of music the time of day. To be honest, um, it's really not my bag. You know, one for the troubadours. No, but I, I love this soundtrack. I love all of the, all of the um, the musical sequences in this. Th- there's something there that it, it's not like a, a Disney film where you know you have to have the uh, the musical number and you know it's often very trite. I mean, th- th- there's a lot of emotion packed into those songs that help form the characters, but. Are so integral to how the film, where the film's going and stuff, it, it um, it's magnificent. And like Paul Williams did all of that, didn't yeah. he as well? And sings them. And I mean, sings there's a nice, yeah. there's a nice touch later on <laughs> which, when, which um, is mad because yeah. <laughs> it really does sound like I have. I know it's very obvious because you can see like the dubbing, but I'm totally believing that William Finley's singing that song. Yeah, no, it's a good piece of dubbing, but it's a nice can see as well that when Winslow is disfigured he's had his teeth pulled out and his vocal cords are all damaged he's singing through a tube it's a bit like the old Vincent Price Dr. Fibes things but there's a scene with Swan um, jiggling around with uh, machinery until the voice comes out perfectly but it's Paul Williams own voice that mm. comes out which uh, filter Dolby <laughs> <laughs> get it all right <laughs> in that amazing studio as well which was a real actual um, studio you know where he's sat mm. in the it looks like a pod of just like hardware basically of um, like vocoders and amps and stuff yeah full of vintage stuff I mean, yeah and thing. it was um, Tonto's Exploding Headband did uh, an album there do you know those guys Expanding Headband Expanding yeah. sorry <laughs> yes I've heard of yeah that's an amazing album because I've I think when I first saw Phantom of Paradise, I read about that and then like, I dug that album out and it was superb, like really good. Sort no. of like. So that's that's genuine stuff, but the set design throughout this is really good. Yeah. So it's especially striking is Swan's desk, which looks like a huge vinyl record, doesn't it? With him sitting in the middle of it. And there's a great scene where he's auditioning all these different acts who might be um, might be perfect. It's actually a bit prescient of Andrew Lloyd Webber's little um, TV talent show when he selects <laughs> the uh, stars for his next show. But that's great when it's going around it has all the different musical styles um, these different acts but all of them singing the same song actually the record thing also reminded me of uh, the Ken Russell film uh, is it The Boyfriend? yeah yeah where they're dancing yeah, outside on, sets yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's the main songs themselves although throughout this I've, I guess I was, I've seen this several times watched it properly again a few weeks back and then was just scrubbing through it today uh, getting ready for this 
it struck me a lot of the musical score in this is also kind of quite baroque string section, which uh, gives it something a bit different. Yeah, I guess. Um, for me, it was always about how different each uh, musical number is, mm. um, especially because you have the same three guys in each uh, reincarnation of the yeah. so the, the juicy fruits at the beginning, yeah. and then they're like a Beach Boys ripoff, sort of like a surf. Mm. Surf group, and then they become the undead for uh, Garrett Graham's yeah. uh, beef. Who's I think, <laughs> as much as I love the rest of the film, he is so extraordinary, <laughs> um, just amazing. Um, He's kind of on a par with O'Toole in uh, the ruling class, actually. <laughs> in that, in that out thereness, you know, yeah, he's been you, given the opportunity to like really do something, to do that and be so unselfconscious, <laughs> but also it, 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 it's obviously played. Ten miles over the top and played for laps, but he doesn't go too far. <laughs> it still manages to sort of rein it back in a bit. But yeah, basically playing. This did confuse me because I had to do a little bit of research on Wikipedia because this the, the things that come to mind here. This was made in 1974. You're thinking of Alice Cooper um, and Kiss, certainly at one point when the band have the kind of um, white and black makeup. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if this may have even been a slightly ahead of them. I think Kiss's first album was out in early 74, and this came out late 74, so I'm not sure what the gap between production is. Kind of already done it, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And Alice Cooper, I think, had a um, career ahead of the Grand Guignol kind of stuff yes, that he was doing. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a difference from in Britain where we had glam rock, which was all together, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little more, uh, a little tamer. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, beef in here, amazing. Um, pure kind of horror show theatrics. But, you know, the gag is he's an absolute mincing queen. <laughs> really put me in mind of the, the Mel Brooks, um, the producers. Kind of thing. But yeah, a lot of the staging of the musical numbers is great. In fact, I'm a bit surprised this someone's not picked this up as a, a to redo it as a stage musical after the success of the producers and spam a lot and those kind of things. Yeah, that's true. Because yeah. just in the film, the staging of it when... Uh, uh, beef is meant to be sort of built as a Frankenstein's monster on stage, isn't he? So the band are going out and supposedly uh, tearing up the aud- the audience with like uh, sickles on the end of their instruments. And yeah, a knife on the end of the microphone pieces. and yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, and the, the 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 they've got the backing singers like sewing someone up, haven't they? Behind oh the yeah, screen. they're in nurses' uniforms with yeah. skulls painted on. <laughs> so yeah, throughout this, the design's great, and I can't stress this enough. This was such a shock to me going from watching things like Dress to Kill, which were quite earnest and didn't. St- Dress to Kill certainly still doesn't really work for me. So to watch something like this, which was just seemed to absolutely the the, the 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 sensibility of it and the timing of everything was so perfect. But yeah, there was a scene you said you wanted to talk about. Is this the Beach Boys pastiche with the split screen? Yeah, and the the Touch of Evil homage. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah which I think is it, it. That was the thing that cemented it as being like my favorite De Palma film that I've seen, because not only I mean he's infamous for. Um, homaging um, Hitchcock mm-hmm. the opening sequence of Touch of Evil has um, Janet Lee and Charlton Heston going through it's the Mexico border isn't it is the border yeah. yeah and someone's put a bomb inside the back of a car and it's this amazing one take on a crane it goes on for like four or five minutes and he does something similar but on stage uh, De Palma does something similar but on stage and the minute it happens, it goes into split screen. I just love the fact that he is associated with split screen anyway. Mm. So he puts his own touch on this 
amazing homage anyway and it just the way it pans out the way it's orchestrated and I love the fact that there's even a little uh, goof where you see the shadows of the uh, the camera guys right. behind. But I've noticed that a couple of times in his other film. But yeah, it really is just astonishing that it's orchestrated perfectly and blew me away. And watching it again last night, I was just like trying to wake my wife up going, like, look at this, look at this. She's like, I, I don't even know that other film you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, I can't share this with anyone, but I'm sharing it with you guys now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're here for something. <laughs> but more than that, you know, it is all... Of, I mean, Finley's such a brilliant performance in it. He, he, again, it's one of those performances where he just unloads everything into it because you you do need someone to go over the top that, mm-hmm. it was obvious that character needs to lose the plot majorly and he, he does it magnificently <laughs> you know he's kind of trying to keep keep on to reality in some way but he can't help it just well dressed in PVC and uh, <laughs> with that amazing metal help yeah that's great yeah. it starts off famously with Rod Serling doing this voiceover which already lends it something a little bit special and um Throughout, I just love the idea that Swan had as a symbol this kind of dead crow on its back. Yeah. <laughs> just I don't even know if it's a crow. It. it looks much more like um, a little songbird or something. Whatever it is. <laughs> but no, throughout it, yeah, just great set design, great look to it. The split screen thing, which I usually find quite irritating in films, and particularly De Palma. I think he does it a lot in Carrie as well, doesn't he? But no. Um, I love it. Very little to fault this on, really. I mean, if anything, there's things that I think are really notable is... Um, usually you'd have the Phantom of the Opera plot of you stole my music, I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. The fact that when he comes back, he then the goes on the Faust direction, like you say, and it's more him working in the shadows and collaborating with them. This really adds, it some, adds something different. And then, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who haven't seen this. It then goes off in some weird twists towards the end, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, majorly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it, I, I think there's it's audacious and the fact that he wrote it himself as well you know it's reaping the benefits of what um, other writers or creators have done so successfully before but yet stamping your own name on it and he he does it he's not done it as well I don't think I mean Obsession I think even Hitchcock saw Obsession and was really pissed off and said wait this is just a rip off of I my pissed off. <laughs> uh we've not mentioned Jessica Harper yeah, I was coming up to that. Mm-hmm. Chihiro from Spirited Away, you know the Studio Ghibli film. Right, I didn't she, know she was connected. She's, no, she's sense. not. She's a spit double for it. She oh, just looks right. like she's got that big forehead and those eyebrows. I yeah, I'm still lukewarm with Jessica Harper because I'm not a fan of Suspiria, so mm. that's the one she's always associated with. But then again, when we watched um, uh, the O'Toole film at Christmas, that film, oh, uh, my favorite year. Yeah. I didn't even really pick up on the fact that it was her. No, no, I didn't actually. <laughs> but that kind of—that's kind of the point. Yeah, I guess you've already got so many over-the-top characters, and like I say, it's not entirely played for laughs. It does have a streak of seriousness through it, which really gives it support. Um, possibly giving giving her role to someone who was a little more charismatic. Mm, you know, Bonnie maybe Simon. wouldn't have. Oh my god. Well, like I say, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if there was a stage version of this at some point. <laughs> Maybe there already has been, but a little bit off off Broadway, you know. So, um, you love this so much, you bought it on Blu-ray recently. Yeah, I got uh, the French Blu-ray. Yeah, any extra bits and pieces on there? Yeah, there's loads, but I haven't watched them. I think they're pretty much the same extras that came out on uh, a US DVD release, um, except like with 
French subtitles. But I haven't had the chance. Well, I've had plenty of opportunities to watch them, and just watching all these other films to review instead. <laughs> oh, poor you. <laughs> um, there's a Garrett Graham introduction which I didn't even watch, which is only 50 seconds long. But I didn't realise until after because it took me ages to work out what because it's all in French. Obviously, mm. the DVD gets. I was like, "What's this, Garrett Graham? Oh, it's an introduction, right? I see. Too late." So yeah, that's it for this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. And we'll I be back have. Again. I've, I've Good. enjoyed it. I'm, I'm stroking my shaft. <laughs> Splendid. Okay, <laughs> we'll see you again next week. Actually, I'm shining my helmet. Get off the microphone. I know drug reel from real real. Carburetors, man. That's what life is all about.